that he has triumphed mean he has already triumphed. John has forgotten that Jesus has triumphed. And so many times in our lives, we're going through life, we're experiencing God, and the bumps hit the road, right? The bumps hit the road, and you're like, where is God? And we're bent down just like John, and we're weeping. We're weeping, and our eyes are to the ground, and we need to look up and remember that he is already victorious. He is already victorious. Some of you are like, it's not bumps in the road. I'm down in, in the ditch. I'm in a hole in the ground. I don't know how I'm going to get out of here. Neil says, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he has triumphed. But I love this next part. This is, this is the best part. So John looks. You can picture him bent down. John looks up. He lifts his eyes. And what does he see? Then I saw a lamb looking as if he had been slain. Did you know that we're going to forever look at the scars on his hands, the scars on his feet, the scar on his side and say, that's how much he loved me. It won't be a thing of guilt. It will be a thing of that's how much he loved me. And he looks and he doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb standing, this is why I love this, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures, the great I am, right there in front of John. But why did he see a lamb? Why did he see a lamb? I, I know you know this, but a, a lamb's not a predatory animal, right? You don't go click on a YouTube video because, you know, a lamb is chasing a lion, Right? You never see a lamb taking on a bear, you know, a bear with a, in a bare knuckles boxing contest, right? Lambs are weak. Lambs are weak. But notice it says triumphant. See, Jesus is the lion and the lamb. But when John looks to see a picture of victory, when John looks to see a picture of victory, he sees a lamb. And we're nearing Easter, and Easter is all about victory. Easter is all about the resurrection life. See, Jesus may have looked weak on the outside. He may have looked like a lamb. But in the scripture it says, beware of the wrath of the lamb. It says with his very word, his enemies are laid bare. He, just ha he doesn't have to do anything. Jesus just speaks and it happens. You see, here's the deal. He looked like a lamb, but he roared like a lion. He looked like a lamb, but he roared like a lion. A lion. You see, there was victory in his voice. There was victory that he was the Lamb of God and he died on the cross for you and me and he loved us. But the victory came in his mouth. What is the roar that came from his mouth? What is the victory? Because we need to know that, right? If we're stuck in the tomb and the stone is rolled away and Jesus is saying, come out, we need to know where the victory is. And I felt like God was saying, I want you to show this victory. You need it in your own life and the church needs it. I felt like that's what he was saying. See, his victory was in his mouth. It's in the roar. It's in the roar of the lion. He looks like a lamb, but he roars like a lion. So let me show you this. One of the scriptures is not in here, but let me show you in Revelation another picture of Jesus, okay? And this is going to start to explain where the roar comes from, okay? So this part's not on the screen, but it says, His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. This is talking about Jesus. Catch this. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Okay, I'm going to give you a little setup for this whole sermon right now, okay? I told you there were symbols in the Bible. The Bible describes the Word. The Word describes the Word. Water is always a symbol. I know some of you are going to say the Holy Spirit, and you're right, 
but it's a, it's a, a symbol for words. Rushing water is coming out of his mouth. Stay with me, okay? So when it comes to, to God, what water is a symbol of is of God's word and the Holy Spirit. But water is also outside of that a symbol of words. Just hold on to that. I will show you that in a second. But hold on to that. So catch. His voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. And out of his mouth, out of his mouth, came a sharp double-edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Some of you are already thinking, you already know where I'm going. Ephesians, what are we to take up? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And I love it, it goes on in Revelation. It says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. Remember the old hymn, crown him with many crowns? I love that. And his name is written on him that no one knows but he himself. And he is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And guess what his name is? His name is the Word of God. And that word is coming out of his mouth, a sharp sword which to strike the nation. What is the sword? It's the Word of God. Jesus' roar is the Word. He looked like a lamb, but he roared like a lion. You see, words carry authority. Did you know that? Words carry authority. Words carry authority. They seem weak, right? But they're not. The lamb may look weak, but he's powerful because his roar is the roar of the Word of God coming from his mouth. He is the Word of God, and he speaks the Word of God. And I love these pictures converged together. He looks like a lamb, but he roars like a lion. And by the way, did you know that Satan always copies Jesus? Satan always copies the Father. You know there's the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Then in Revelation, Satan is going to have an unholy Trinity. And it's the dragon. Who is the dragon? Here's the symbols again. Do you know who the dragon is? Satan. Do you know who the beast is? The Antichrist. And then there's the false prophet, right? The unholy trinity. This is why I'm telling you this. Because it gives us a picture of the authority of words. Listen to this. I told you that Satan copies what, what God does, right? So listen to this. It says that when they looked at this antichrist, when John saw him, he looked like a lamb. But he spoke like what? A dragon. Because the dragon had given the antichrist all his authority. The authority is in your words. The authority is in the words. And Satan copies this. Stay with me, all right? So here's the cool thing. The Father gave the Son authority, right? And we have the Holy Spirit now that leads us into all truth. But who did Jesus give authority to? Who did he give authority to? Us. The church. We have the authority. All the authority. We have the Word of God. We can speak with all the authority of the Lamb and with the roar of the lion, the conquering lion of Judah. But here's the problem. Some of you don't come out of the tomb because you don't know this. You don't know this book right here. You don't know the Word of God. And remember it says the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is God's Word, His written Word. It isn't an ordinary book. It is God-breathed. God, the Spirit of God, moved men to write it. This book is unlike any other book, and yet it's the furthest thing from us, right? 
But what the scriptures is saying, that's where power and authority are. When Jesus spoke the word of God, things happened. That's our power. The source of our victory is the word of God. And so many of you feel defeated right now. And it's because you don't know this book. And let me show you a few ways the word describes the word, okay? A couple symbols. See, the word is described as bread. It's described as water. It's described as breath. And it's described as a sword. And always remember this. The word of God and the Holy Spirit are inseparable. And I'll show you that in a second, okay? So it's always described. So here's the deal. Scripture is literally God-breathed. God breathed into this, right? And when you meditate and when you memorize this and when you read it, it's literally like this. You just went like this. You're breathing in the breath of God. You're breathing in the breath of God. So just you guys can talk with me a little bit. Let me take some of these symbols, okay? So let me take bread, all right? You need food, right? We, I like food, obviously. I clearly like food. But how long could I go without food? What do you guys think? Yeah, I don't know what everybody said, but right on. That was the correct answer. I don't know if it was. But you can go 40 to 80 days. 80 days is crazy. Like, that would be crazy. And all that time, you would have to have water. You would have to have water to survive. So you could go months, let's say two to three months, okay? And three months is pushing it. Okay, you have to have bread. You have to have food. You have to have that sustenance. What about water? How long can you go without water? What'd you say? Three days? Okay, most people think four to 12 days. 12 days is pushing it. You, you, you have to have water. Four to 12 days, you have to have water. What about breath? Now we're getting into it, right? You don't have breath. There's a problem, right? I think the Navy SEALs maybe can hold their breath for maybe about four to five minutes. That's a lot. I remember being a kid, and you know, you would look at your friend underwater because you're trying to hold your breath, and you're, you're on a minute. You're like, you know, you're like, but I'm not going up. I'm going to beat my friend. You know, you're not going to go up. But we can't hold our breath that long, right? What about a sword? Just picture this. Roman times, Colosseum. Somehow you get dropped out of the sky into a coliseum and you're facing 10 big Roman general dudes and they got swords and that crazy thing with the ball and the spiky things that if I had it, man, I would be like hitting myself with it. It would not be a good thing. It would not be a good day. But there's 10 of these guys and there's you and you have no sword. Now, I'm a guy, so I know the answer the guys are going to say. They're going to be like, I can take him. I don't need no sword, Right? It's like 80, every 80s movies, like, you know, Steven Seagal and stuff, the odds are impossible, but I got this. It's all good. No, you would die. You need the sword. You need breath. And here's the problem. If you think about all those symbols we just went through, it shows us what the problem is. It shows us that we are malnourished. We are dehydrated. We are oxygen depleted. And we are unguarded from the attack of the enemy. And that's normal life for a lot of us in this place. No wonder you don't want to come out of the tomb. You see, you determine how much life of his you let flow into you. And you determine it by how much time you spend in this word. Breathing it in, eating, drinking water. And some of you don't know how malnourished you are. 
and there's a lack of victory in your heart. So today we're going to be really focusing in on water, okay? So what does water represent? What does water represent? Words. And when it talks about God, it's God's Word and the Holy Spirit, okay? They're inseparable. Okay, so let me give you just a couple other symbols. Let's set this up. Some of you will know this. If you don't know this, that's okay. But Brandon sang a lot of songs last week about a rock and a capstone. Who's the rock in the Bible? Say his name. He's the name above all names. Jesus. That's right. Some of you might know this. What does a tree represent in the Bible? If you said tree, you'd be wrong. No, it probably does at times say a tree. But what does it represent? Some of you know this. I didn't hear that, but I think maybe somebody said man. Did you? Just nod yes if you did. Okay. A tree represents man. God often says a man is like a tree planted by a river. We're going to talk about that verse in a second. What do snakes and scorpions represent? Demonic influences, right? Who's the serpent and the dragon? I already give you this one. Satan. What does fruit represent? Works or prosperity or things like that. Okay, you're with me. So you're kind of seeing where I'm going, okay? You, you got this? You guys have got this. So what I want to do is I want to read something. I don't have this on the screen, but I want to read Psalm 1. So if you want to go there, go to Psalm 1, verse 1. So blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, or stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the word of God. His delight is in the word of God. And in his word, he meditates day and night. He shall, the man who meditates on the water, get ready, or on the word, will be like a tree, remember tree is man, planted by rivers of water. See, we're the trees, and the water represents the word of God and the Holy Spirit that brings forth its fruit in season, whose leaves will ne never wither, and whatever he does will prosper. He's saying, meditate on this day and night, and you're like a tree planted by a river, and your leaves never wither, and you will be prosperous. It's sort of like Joshua 1.8. It's very much the same. If you meditate on the word day and night, what does he say? You will prosper in whatever you do. This isn't America's version of prosperity. This is the prosperity that God brings into our life. The richness that he brings as we meditate day and night on his word. So whatever it is, your marriage, your health, family, finances, career, children, whatever it is will prosper. Wouldn't it be great if we believed that? If we really believed that this could transform our hearts and our minds? It would be amazing. So here's the deal. Water represents what? Say it out loud. Words. Okay, but we need to understand there's three types of words, right? There's three kinds of words. There's God's word. There's Satan's words. I'm going to show you that in a second. And there's our words. There's our words. So I want to show you how our words can be at war with God's word. We already know that Satan's word is at war with God. But I'm going to show you that in a second. But our words can either agree with the word of God or disagree with the word of God. And I believe we don't experience much victory because we don't have much of that in our heart. We don't have that much in our heart. And here's the deal. The amount of God's word in your life is directly involved in the amount of victory in your life. See, there's a war going on. And it's a war of words. And it's Satan's word versus God's word. That's the war that goes on every day in your life, in your mind, in your mind, will, and emotions, in your soul, every day. And here's the deal. 
Satan wants to flood us. He wants to flood you. Satan wants to flood you. You don't need to turn there, but in Revelation 12, John sees a vision. And so up to this point, John has seen future things. But now John is going to see like an overview of history. They're going to take John back and say, I want to show you the big picture of what happens in, in, in history. And it's all in, in symbols. And it shows a woman, and she has a crown, and she has 12 stones in that crown. And it's a picture of Israel, the tri 12 tribes of Israel. And what's happening is the dragon is chasing this woman. That's history. Satan has always been trying to destroy Israel, right? Why is he trying to destroy them? Because he knew Messiah comes from them. And he also knows they play a, a big part in the end times. But who else is he trying to destroy? The church. He's trying to destroy the church. But what I want to show you is how is he trying to do it. So here it is in verse 15. So the serpent spewed water. What's water? Words. He spewed words out of his mouth like a flood after the woman. See how he attacks her? It's a flood of words that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. So that's what he's doing. It's an endless assault on you and me. A war of words. Do you know he stands and accuses us day and night before the Lord? Words. See, Satan is coming against us in a flood of words that do not agree with the word of God. It's what he did to Eve. Did God really say that? He told her some words that contradicted what God said. And when she believed it, she sinned. So we've talked a lot about symbols, right? We talked, who is the rock? Jesus, right? Water or words? Let me just... Let me just read this to you, okay? Knowing some of this symbol. Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, Jesus is speaking right here. Therefore, whoever hears my words and does them, there's the word of God, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house upon the rock. We know that's Jesus. When the floods came and the wind came, I didn't tell you this, but Satan is the prince of, of the air, right? So floods, a flood of words and of the wind when the floods came and the winds came, but it did not fall because it was founded on what? The rock. Do you see all the symbolism going on here that Jesus is talking about? If you go to, to Psalm 69, you don't need to turn there, but David is crying out. He's saying, the floodwaters have overcome me. I'm overcome by the flood, Lord. And we're trying to understand, what is this flood? It's his enemies. They're throwing accusations at him. It's what Satan does to you. It's a flood of words. He's pouring out at you. You see, here's the problem, and here's also the solution. See, Satan is pouring that flood of discouragement on you, the flood of your circumstances upon you. But the problem is, and the solution is, you have a mouth too, right? Remember, God's word, Satan's word, and your words. You have a mouth that can speak. For some of you, you remember that mouth got you in trouble, right? I remember one time, and I'm going to say this because a lot of youth aren't in here, but I remember the one time, I'm sure I lied to my mom, but this was the time, I mean, I bold-faced lied. I was in high school, and I was like, I'm going to be here, but I wasn't there. I was somewhere else. She found out. So it was like 6.30 in the morning. I come home. I come up to our, the back door, screen door, like that's going to be, you know, going to cover me or something. I go in. And my mom, she walks up and right to the door. And she's like, Brian, where were you at? I was like, I was at Donovan's. And she went, my mom has never slapped me before. And for the first time, she was like, boom, right there. 
You see, words can get us into trouble, right? But here's the problem. What happens is Satan says something to us and we agree with it. Satan says something and we agree with it. It's just like Eve. See, your words are like waters also. Proverbs 18, 4 says, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. Proverbs 6, 2, You are snared by the words of your mouth. See, you're in bondage by your own words. Satan tells you something and you agree with him. You know how? You know why we agree with the words of Satan? We don't know that. We're not in that. We don't know his word. We don't have anything to counteract it. Because the devil knows if you feed this off this, if you breathe this in, what it does is it feeds your faith. You breathe in faith. And in the arena of faith, Satan can't touch you. He can't do anything to you. See, the devil wants to feed you fear. Fear of the future, fear of your marriage, fear of your health, fear of your finances. But God's word feeds faith. God's word feeds faith. It says God has got this. If he'll heal me, amen. But if he doesn't, he walks with me through the valley of the shadow of death. And I will fear no evil because he is with me. It says, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Today might be messed up, but God is still into my tomorrow. And he's in my today, even if I can't feel it. Faith says that. Faith walks on what God says, not on what Satan says. See, let me put it this way. Fear is expecting the devil to move. Think about that. Think about that. The most reiterated command in the Bible, do not fear. Fear is expecting the devil to move. Faith is expecting God to move. And some of us won't come out of the tomb because we have fear. And we live in fear expecting, well, this bad thing's going to happen. Bad things are going to happen. That's Satan. That's not God. Faith is expecting God to move. And guys, some of you here would be heartbroken to realize that you are fueling the lies of the enemy in your life. You are fueling fear, not faith. You are fueling the lies of that. You're fueling the lie that your marriage can't make it. You're fueling the lie that you won't make it through life. That's not God. That's the enemy. And that's the wrong words. See, some of you are in the flood right now. But I have some good news. Here's what the Spirit of the Lord does with floods. If we will trust Him and put our faith in Him. It says this in Isaiah 59. When the enemy shall come in like a flood. We know those are words. The Spirit of the Lord shall lift a standard against Him. This is the standard. God's Word. What happens is when we choose to to have faith in him, the Spirit of God steps and says, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. That's my son and daughter. You don't talk to them like that. You don't talk to my daughters like that. You don't talk to my sons like that. And he lifts the standard when we will believe God's word. But you're not in it to lift the standard. You've got to lift the standard by faith, lifting it up. Look, if Jesus relied upon the word of God to overcome, how much more should we? Remember what he said to Satan? It is written. It is written. It is written. That's how we overcome. See, Satan also wants to famish you. He wants to famish you. He wants to literally starve you. He doesn't want you to know God's word because he knows it's the place that you have power over the enemy. Amos 8.11 says this, Oh, and that kind of has some weird days. It's actually, behold, the days are coming, okay? Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will bring famine 
And the, the Hebrew there is he will allow famine. Get ready. Remember the symbols in the Bible. Not a famine of bread and water, but of hearing the word of the Lord. See, he didn't say it was a famine of the word. They had the scrolls. They had the word of God. He said it was a famine of hearing the word of God. Remember the symbols, bread and water. In other words, we have the word, but are we hearing it? You know, in Mark, I think it's Mark 4.14, it talks about this, the word being the seed that's going to make the bread and how the devil comes and snatches the seed out of our hearts. Or the world system that's based on the devil chokes out the word in us because we are consumed by the worries of this life and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. See, they couldn't hear the word. The word was right there, and Satan is trying to steal it. The same thing with Samuel. If you know the, the story of Samuel, he lived in a day where every person did what was right in their own eyes. And here's Samuel. He's a young kid. He's just a kid. It says, Samuel ministered before the Lord, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. Remember, without revelation, the people perish, right? Catch this again. There was no word of the Lord, for it was rare in those days. He's not saying, that scripture's not saying they didn't have access to it. The word rare in the Hebrew is that it's precious or valuable. What they're saying is that they had the word, but they didn't see it as valuable or precious. They didn't see it that way, so they weren't hearing. They weren't hearing the word. Samuel valued the word of the Lord, so he heard the word of the Lord. Is it possible that we're so consumed by stuff that we've lost the value of the word of the Lord? Can I ask you this? How many Bibles do you own? I know some of you might not, and we want to give you one. I have a lot of Bibles. And there are times in my life that I've allowed Satan to famish me. And I wasn't hearing the word of the Lord because I didn't value this. I didn't see this as precious I didn't see it as what God wanted. But here's the, the thing. Jesus wants to fill you. Jesus wants to fill you. He wants to fill you with the words so you understand the power and authority and victory you already have. You know, in Peter it says this. It says, through his divine power, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness. And you're like, man, that's cool. I don't experience that. But here's why. If you go on and read, he says, how is that, made, that provision made to us? He says, through the very many great and precious promises. Where are the promises? Right here. It's in the promises there are the provision. But if you don't know the promises, how are you going to overcome? And he goes on to say, that's how we share in his divine nature. We need to know his promises. And once you know the word, he calls us to confess the word. He calls us to confess the word. You see, here's the deal. Jesus said the Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth. The word and the spirit are inseparable. The word and the spirit brought the universe into being. And they continue to sustain it even now. Every time God speaks a word, it is carried by his breath. In Hebrew, breath is symbolic of the spirit of God, ruach. He breathes the universe into being, his very word and his spirit, and he sustains it right now. But here's the deal. He wants the Holy Spirit to wash you. Do you know that God is described as a fountain? See, Satan is a flood, 
God is a fountain. And in the New Testament, Jesus described the Holy Spirit as a fountain, right? To the Samaritan woman, if you knew this water that I had for you right now, you'd be asking for it. You'd want this water because you will never thirst again. And he said, it's like a fountain that wells up, it springs up into eternal life. See, Satan is a flood. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit is a fountain. And what did Jesus say? That when you believed on him, as it is written, streams of living water will flow out from within you? Guys, when you get the word of God in you and the Holy Spirit takes it, it's going to flow out of you. It's going to flow out of you. You will begin to confess it. You will begin to agree with what God has said. Let me show you now the connection between God's word and the water. It says this in Ephesians. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. Washing the water through the word. See what the Holy Spirit and the word of God do? They wash you. And where do they wash you? Because some of you are like, well, wait a second. I thought we were washed by the blood of the Lamb, right? See, you are justified by the blood of the Lamb, but you're sanctified or made holy by the water, the washing of the water of God's word. Can I ask you a question about Eve? Second Thessalonians says that we're made of three parts. We're made of spirit, soul, and body. So Eve is perfect, right? She has a perfect spirit, a perfect soul, and a perfect body, right? Where did Satan attack her? It wasn't her spirit, because her spirit had perfect communion with the Lord. Where was it at? It's the soul. What's your soul? It's your mind, will, and emotions. Satan is going to flood your mind, will, and emotions, and it's the washing of the water of the Word that defeats him. It's the washing of the water that defeats him. And God wants to give you a word. God wants to give you a word. He wants you to be in this. You know, I listen to a lot of sermons. I listen to a lot of worship music. The Lord has given those things to us. We need teachers in the body of Christ. But God is like my son, my daughter. That's secondhand words. I want that for you, but I want you to go to the source. I have something to say to you. You're my child. Spend time with me. And when he gives you a word, when he gives you a word, he wants you to confess it out loud. Stay with me because this is something that you may never have heard before. Remember, God spoke the world into existence, right? His very word in the spirit. Let me show you what confess means, okay? Confess means to be in agreement with. It means you're saying the same things that God is saying and you're saying it out loud. I talked about meditating on the word of God. Remember that earlier? Let me give you a definition of that. It's to ponder serious thought towards something. We've got that part. But here's what I didn't know until I read this. It said this, and it has the implication of speaking out loud what you learned. And in fact, the Hebrew expression to learn by heart, it actually means to learn by mouth. Speak it out loud. Speak it over your family. Speak it over your marriages. Speak God's word that he gives you the truth. Come into agreement with what God says. The confession of your mouth. It says the word is near you. It's in your mouth. And it's in your heart. That is the word of faith we're proclaiming. That word proclaiming means to shout out loud in the Latin. It says that Jesus is the high priest of our confession. It says to hold to that confession. In Psalm 17, 4 and 108 it says, You have exalted above all things your name and your word. What is the confession we have? The name of Jesus 
and the Word of God. That is our confession. You see, when we make the words of God in our mouth agree with the Word of God, we position ourselves to receive full backing and the authority of Christ. Something supernatural happens. Something miraculous happens if you will meditate on this book. God will begin to move in your life. You will want to come out of the tomb so you can meditate on the lie that puts you into bondage or the truth that can set you free. You have words, but do they agree with God's word? One of the most effective ways to release the power of God into a situation is by proclaiming it in faith. And under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, remember that the word must go with the breath, with the water, with the Holy Spirit. When the breath or spirit of God propels his word from our mouths, we can release it into a situation. Some of you have never heard this before, but when God gives you a truth, I speak it out loud. I struggle with worry and depression. I speak God's word out, out loud over those things. That's what God has meant for us. It comes in agreement with who God is. If you do this, you will roar like a lion and you will look like a lamb and you will be victorious. When you speak the word of God, the breath of God is released into your situation, over your family and over your workplace. I want to show you something. This is just what I do. I have all these note cards and this is just scripture. Jen sees me all the time. My wife's here. I'm always walking around with these things. And even when we're in front of the TV, I'm going like this. Before I go to bed, and I'm memorizing them, meditating, and I speak upon these. These are all scriptures. Some of them are little things that I heard a pastor say or something that I'll write down. And I write this down. Listen to this one, Proverbs 4.20. Remember we said God is a fountain. He's a wellspring. But listen to this. Listen closely to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and to a man's uh, health to a man's whole body. Above all else, guard your hearts, for it is the wellspring of life. Get this word. Look at it. Memorize it. It's your life. I want to challenge you. Just get some note cards. Start writing the scriptures that God puts on your heart and meditating on them, saying them out loud. Let God speak to you. Band, you can come up. I want to read one last scripture to you as the lights come down. There's a scripture that says this. God is saying, On this one I will look, I will esteem or respect, him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembles at my word. God has rolled the stone away. He's calling you to come out. But you have to agree with his words. Wherever you're at this morning, has your life been in agreement with Satan and you don't even realize it? Have you been saying the things that are not of faith but of fear? Don't fuel the fear. You're already victorious because he was victorious. That is your victory. Will you stand and I'm going to pray and we're going to continue to worship. Lord God, I just praise you that you've exalted above all things your name and your word. And God, I, we bless you this morning, God. We want to praise you, God. We want to worship you in spirit and truth. God, unlock us of our fears. Call us out. 
with you there's safety. God, you said in this world we will have trouble. The flood of words will come. Circumstances will come. Sin will come, Lord God. But you said take heart because you have overcome the world. And we praise you, Lord Jesus. And right now I ask for your spirit just to come down, to fill us, to encourage us, to remind us of truth. Thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.